0: Today I'm into my third teaching on discipleship. And I tell you, this is something that I believe is so important. Most people are just seeking God hit and miss haphazardly and they aren't being discipled. I've already made so many points about this. If you've missed any of this teaching, I encourage you to please get it. But I've made comparisons to like the way that you learned to read, the way that you went to school. It's line upon line and precept upon precept. There's an orderly fashion to it. You don't just, you know, spend an hour on how to read over here and then go over to world history and back to math. There is a progression. There is a logical way that you learn. And likewise, in the gospel, there sh- you should be discipled. There should be a systematic, logical way. There are things that are foundation stones that you build other truths upon. As a matter of fact, the Lord has spoken to me that sometimes I'll come across something in Scripture And I mean, it just jumps out at me and I think, man, how does this fit? And typically I'll pray about it and the Lord will give me revelation. But there have been times that I have sought and prayed and done everything that I know to do. And it just seems like I cannot figure out how this truth fits in with other things. And so here's one of the things that the Lord spoke to me. He says it's like climbing a ladder, like rungs on a ladder, and he said, you may be reaching for something that's at the top of this ladder, but you don't have the foundation to be able to reach up that high yet. And so the Lord will tell me just to put things aside. And there's things that in my life before I have you know, tried to understand and, and prayed over it meditated on it but then after a while it just becomes like a dead end and it seems like i'm not getting anywhere i'll set those things aside and then every six month or every year i'll go back and visit them and with the new things that i have learned it allows me to reach up and all of a sudden these things become things that i can implement into my life and they fit And so, this is what we've been teaching on is that there is a right and a wrong way to seek after God. And you need to be discipled. There needs to be foundational, systematic ways of God revealing Himself to you. And if you would approach the Lord this way, it would just make a huge difference in your life. Today, I want to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this is Timothy, or or excuse me, Paul writing to Timothy, who he said that Timothy was his son in the faith. He said that he didn't have any man who was as like-minded as Timothy who just naturally would care for the people the way that Paul would. There was a supernatural bond between Paul and Timothy, and Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And so here is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy was ordained to be the first bishop of the church at Ephesus and i won 't go into all of the history, but just real quickly, let me mention that Ephesus was a major hub in Asia Minor. It was a huge city, and uh, i 've read some accounts that there was as many as fifty to a hundred thousand Christians in Ephesus by the end of the first century and you 've got to remember that they didn 't meet in churches the way that we do they didn 't all congregate together; they met in homes and so these 50,000 conservative Christians were spread out over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes and each one of the people that were leading these smaller groups were considered like a pastor and then they all reported to Timothy. So Timothy had hundreds of people that were in leadership over the body of Christ there in Ephesus and he was responsible for them and he was just a young man. And so the task that was in front of him was just overwhelming. It really had to have supernatural uh, enabling by God to be able to do this. And so here's Paul writing to Timothy in this situation. And he said some things here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 that are just absolutely astounding. And what I want to do is relate this to discipleship. This is... Paul speaking to his disciple Timothy telling him how to operate in a situation. And I believe that we can glean things from this, that this is words for us about discipleship. So here's Paul speaking to Timothy. And in verse 12, he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith. In purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, again, this is powerful, and there is so much in this that it's going to take me a while to get through this. But let me just draw your attention to the very first thing that he said. He says, "'Let no man despise thy youth.'" You know, any of you that have been around for a period of time will recognize that when you're the new kid on the block, it doesn't matter if it's in a job, it doesn't matter if it's in a church situation or whatever, there is a credibility issue, and people wonder about, are you really qualified to do this? Paul is the one who had started this church. He had established his authority and people were submitting to him. But now Paul had moved on and he had put Timothy, who was one of his disciples, and he had left Timothy in charge of the church. And from the very statement right here, you can see that he was being challenged, which is something that happens. It doesn't matter what kind of situation you're in. I've been through this. Everybody goes through this, that there is a natural skepticism of people towards leaders and i think that probably it's a healthy thing it could be overdone of course but i'm saying that leaders should have to prove themselves leaders should have to demonstrate that they have the goods before we just blindly follow them so i'm not saying that this is completely bad but nonetheless here was timothy put in this position of leadership and there was a skepticism towards him and these people were questioning his leadership abilities And, you know, if it hadn't have been resolved, if Timothy hadn't have rise to the occasion, this could have literally split split that church. Somebody else could have come up and tried to take over his leadership. So how did Paul address this? And now, this is really important. I want you to pay attention. Some of you, you might have to think to be able to get the point that I'm making, but this is really powerful. Paul told Timothy, don't let any man despise thy youth. Now, again, let me remind you that Paul's the one that established this church. Paul's the one that led these people to the Lord. So Paul already had established his authority. These people were responsive to him. You know, most people, it would have been logical that if there was a conflict among this leadership... Most people who were the apostle over this church would have exercised their authority, and they would have written to the people, and they would have said, Don't despise Timothy. You submit to him. I've put him in. I have confidence in him. You trust me. See, this is what most of us would do. We would go to the people, and we would tell the people, to not rebel at his authority and to submit to him but paul didn't take that approach paul didn't write the people paul wrote the leader and said don't let any man despise you and again most people would have a disconnect right here and they would say well now wait a minute i can't control whether or not people despise me or not most people would think that it's the people's response not the leader's response But this is one of the things that you learn as a disciple is that you know what? You can't necessarily control what other people think, but you can certainly control how what other people think affects you. You do not have to solve all of these external problems out here. It's really internal. How people's opinion affects you. I don't know if you got that or not, but that is powerful. For instance, here's a scriptural example. Over in Numbers chapter 13 is where Moses sent out the spies. And he told them to go check out the promised land. And they came back and they verified that everything God said was true. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. They had uh, just one cluster of grapes that was so big it had to be put on a pole and carried between two men. We can't even imagine how you know that could be today. I mean, this was a land that was fruitful you know, like no other place on the earth is today. And uh, it was just blessed, blessed, blessed of God. And so they admitted all of that. But then they came up, and in Numbers chapter 13, in verse 32, it says, And they brought up an evil report of the land when which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw... in." "...are all men of great stature. And there were, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight." So they admitted that this was a wonderful place, but then they said that, man, it is a tough place. There's giants there. And they said that the giants saw them as grasshoppers in comparison." You know, here's the point I'm trying to make. You can't necessarily control how other people see you. But the problem is that they saw themselves as grasshoppers. If, you know, the giants had seen them as grasshoppers, that would have been one thing. But they saw themselves as grasshoppers, and that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. They just said, we can't do it. And I'm not going to take time to turn over there, but if you went over to Joshua chapter 2, when 40 years later, after this generation of unbelievers died off and the children of Israel did enter into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 2, the spies, uh, Joshua sent some spies out and they Uh, Went into this woman's house named Rahab and she told them, she says, 40 years ago when we heard that the Lord had dried up the Red Sea and that you had passed through on dry ground. She says, our heart melted within us and there was no spirit or no strength left within any person. Did you know the truth is that, yes, those people physically were bigger than the Israelites, but God had put a fear in their heart, and Rahab revealed 40 years later that ever since then that the inhabitants of the land had been petrified of the Jews. You know, the truth is that physically they were bigger, but the giants didn't see the Jews as inferior. They actually feared them. They saw the power and the anointing of God. And the problem wasn't the difference in the physical height and stature of the Israelis versus these giants. The problem was that they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They had an inferiority attitude, and that's what defeated them. That's what caused this entire generation to die and not enter into the promised land. And this is what Paul is talking about over here. Uh, Timothy had hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people under him. And there was opportunity here for people to despise him. And he hadn't proven himself yet. And there was going to be criticism. But Paul didn't write to them and tell them to quit criticizing Timothy. Paul wrote his disciple and says, don't let them despise their, your youth. I don't believe that this is talking about that he was just somehow or another supposed to flex his muscles in such a way that everybody would submit to him because even Jesus didn't do that. There were people that rejected him. The scribes and the Pharisees rejected him. And I believe Jesus is the perfect example of a leader. So I don't think that this is saying that you can stop every person from having a bad opinion about you and that you can just make everybody love you and everybody submit to you. But I believe that what Paul is telling Timothy is don't let this criticism, their lack of confidence, affect your confidence in what God has called you to do. He was telling him, you stand up. You see yourself as a giant, not as a grasshopper compared to the... Uh, job that was set before him and i tell you this is one of the most powerful things there are people watching this program right now that you know you have let what other people think about you what other people say about you get on the inside of you and you are letting other people's opinion cheapen what you are and what you can do and what god has called you to do And I believe that just as Paul was speaking to Timothy, you know what, you can't just pray and say, oh God, remove all of the criticism. That's not going to happen. You know, if criticism would kill you, I'd be dead. I've got people that hate me. I've got blogs written about me. There's a lot of criticism, but it doesn't matter really what anybody else says about me. It's what I believe. It's what I believe that God has called me to do. I believe that if Paul was writing to me, he would say, Andrew, don't let other people, don't let these blogs, don't let other people's criticism, don't let all of the things that people say and do affect the way that you believe, the way that you see what God has called you to do. And I believe that Paul would be speaking to you that you need to not let other people despise you. Again, I don't think that that's saying that you can stop them from despising, but you can stop... This this value or this cheapening that they place getting on the inside of you. And I tell you, if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord, this is one of the hurdles that you've got to cross. You've got to get past what people have to say about you. In Proverbs chapter 29, I forget the exact verse, it says, the fear of man brings a snare. And if you are afraid of people's opinion, if you have to have validation from people, if you are codependent upon people accepting you, I can just guarantee you, you are not going to succeed and you will not be a successful disciple. It just doesn't happen. You're going to have to get past what people think. You're going to have to get to a place where you are in a relationship with God that you can feel God's pleasure that you can hear God tell you that you're doing the right thing. And if you are obeying God, and if God is pleased with what you're doing, you're going to have to reach a place to where you just don't care what people have to say. I tell you, this is rare as hen's teeth in our society today. Our politicians, most of our leaders today constantly have their finger in the air testing which way public opinion is blowing and they are just motivated and they're constantly fearful of the opinion polls and whether they're going up or down, whether they'll be reelected. Most of the people that we have in leadership today are not godly examples at all. Most of them lack a moral compass. Most of them would sell out their own mother if they thought that it would get them reelected, if they thought that it would promote them. I tell you, that is not godly leadership. If you are going to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus, this is one of the things that you need to learn right here, is that no man can despise me or make me condemned or inferior without my consent and cooperation. I have to agree with them. Boy, that is a powerful statement. You know, a terminology that, that is used in psychology today is this word codependent. And there's a lot of applications of it. But in the sense of what we're talking about, most people are codependent upon other people for approval. If you were to do something and if it started costing you your best friends, I mean, if people at work were to shun you and if on and on, if if your course of action caused rejection by your peers the average person would crumble. They would just cave because we have become totally codependent upon having everybody else approve of us. And I can say that I've been through this temptation. I don't think that anybody just naturally gets over this. God created mankind for fellowship. He made us for relationship. And I think it's deep inside of every person to want people to like you. And so, if you're the type of person that you thrive on people disliking you, something's wrong with you. Amen. That's not the way that God created any of us to be. You shouldn't like it, but Jesus made it very clear that if you are going to follow Him, you will be rejected. You will be persecuted. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It is going to happen. The only way you're going to avoid persecution is if you don't live godly. If you live like God, if you actually develop and manifest a Christian character, I can guarantee you, you're going to be persecuted. It may not be beating or whipping the way that Paul was. It could just be people criticizing you, those glances that they take at you, different types of things. But there will be some form of criticism and rejection And uh, you can't avoid it if you're going to be godly. It just comes with the turf. And so even though God created us for fellowship as a Christian, you are going to have to learn to deal with criticism and rejection and persecution. And so you need to get to a place that even though you never like it, it shouldn't bother you. It shouldn't stop you. It shouldn't make you evaluate whether or not you're going to follow God and obey Him because it might cost you some criticism. You may be afraid of in-laws and how they're going to respond. You may be afraid of your mate. You may be afraid of what your children are going to say. You may be afraid of what your... Uh, associates at work are going to say and yet you have revelation from god and you aren't acting on it because you're afraid of people again proverbs chapter 29 believe it's verse 25 says the fear of man brings a snare you are going to be trapped you are going to be caught in the enemy's trap if you can't get to a place to where what other people do whether or not they despise you doesn't affect you you can't control them You can't control everybody. It's wasted effort to try and pray that all opposition will leave. If you live a godly life, you are going to suffer persecution. But what you can do is get to a place that what people say about you doesn't affect you. And the way you do that primarily is by having such a strong relationship with God that you are so satisfied with His acceptance that anybody else's rejection doesn't bother you. And let me just make some points. You know, in a sense, I'm hesitant to do this because I know that this is going to cause a lot of people to get angry and upset. But just like I'm teaching right here, I can't be afraid to speak the truth because it goes counter to our culture. But our culture today has made all kinds of exceptions. We have become politically correct to the point that we are just i mean absolutely foolish and stupid because we're so afraid of offending this person and basically the average american now this program is being seen all over the world but this isn't limited to an american problem it's the same thing in any culture this political correctness is just gone worldwide and people have gotten to a place that if you are hurt if you're offended, then it's because of what this person has done to you. There isn't any accepting of responsibility. And yet the Bible right here, and I could show you hundreds of other examples, the Bible has an exactly opposite approach towards this. If people have treated you badly... That does not dictate or determine that you have to have this problem and that you have to limp through your life and go through life with a chip on your shoulder. Now, see, that's what our society is saying. And we're saying that, no, it's because these people have treated you wrong. And we're trying to change society and make it so that it's politically incorrect. You can't offend anybody. You can't say anything. And we basically have gotten away from personal responsibility, people getting over what people have said. And instead, we're trying to make everybody so that they just never offend, that they never step on anybody's toes. That is absolutely unrealistic. There are standards of right and wrong, and you are going to have people that uh, cross that standard. And there are times that we need to say that this is right and this is wrong. You know, an example of this, the extreme of it is, that in our kids, when I was a kid, you know, we used to have teams, and you chose people to be on teams, and there were trophies for the winners. There weren't trophies for the losers, but nowadays, it's, it's politically incorrect to have people who are winners and losers. That might make somebody feel bad, and you know what this has done? It has taken away competition. It's taken away motivation for people to succeed. We have just dumbed everybody down to where there are no winners. We're all winners. That's not true. We need to get over that. We have entire segments of society. And here's some of the things, and I know some of you are going to be upset, but I'm saying this in love, trying to disciple you and help you. But there are people that because of the color of their skin, they go around with a chip on their shoulder thinking that it's everybody else's fault And they haven't accepted personal responsibility. There are people that because of their lack of education, the side of the track that they were born on, they have grown up with a mentality to where it's everybody else and the way that they treat them. And you know what? There's no doubt that people treat others wrong. There is no doubt that there has been racial prejudice. There have been religious prejudice. There are uh... financial prejudices and if a person doesn't dress a certain way others condemn them i don't say that that doesn't exist but what i'm saying is you are if you are dependent upon everybody else treating you right before you get over your hurt and your pain you're never going to get over it you're always going to be a victim because there's always going to be racial and religious and social economic prejudices and stuff It's always going to happen. It's always been here. It's always going to be here. Now, I'm not saying we should encourage it. I'm not saying go back to where we just allow these things. But I am saying that you need to, just like Paul was telling Timothy, don't let other people despise you. Get over it. Realize that they can't can't do this to you unless you have this receptor on the inside to where you are dependent upon their approval. You know again, I know that there's people saying, "Well, you don't you haven't been through what I've been through. You're a white Christian male, and you just haven't had the rejection." You know again, I think it's foolish to compare ourselves among ourselves, but in an effort to try and get my point across, I'll just say this: that I have been persecuted as a Christian, I've uh, witnessed to people when I was in the army. And because of that, people hated me and I would go in and sit down at the mess hall and the the people that I was, you know, in the barracks with and stuff, I'd go sit down and they'd all pick up their stuff and move. And I would be left at a table by myself most of the time. I would walk into a barracks. Everybody would be talking and they'd see me come in. Everybody would get quiet and they'd shut up. Nobody would talk to me. One time I went six weeks without a single person in a barracks of 50-something people ever speaking to me. Nobody would talk to me because I had stood and they knew that I was a Christian and they didn't like it. And I've been persecuted. I've been kidnapped because I was a Christian. And I've been threatened to be killed. I've had a lot of things happen. I've got hundreds of blogs written about me. I've probably got more criticism against me than any person or most people watching this program. And I'm only saying this to say that it's not like I've never had to deal with this. But you know how I've approached it? Rather than me sitting there and saying, well, this person shouldn't treat me this way. And try and do something to make them change. You know what? I have just dealt with it on the inside. And I have gone to the Lord and said, Father, I know that you love me. The Word of God prophesied that these things would happen, and I've dealt with it. And you know what? I can truthfully say that I don't go around sucking my thumb, talking about how people have mistreated me. I don't have a persecution complex. I am not depressed and discouraged over it. It is not your place to go and try and straighten out everybody else. You just take care of yourself. Get to a place where regardless of what other people have to say, you find your contentment and satisfaction in the Lord and you don't let other people's opinion of you affect you. Amen. And I know some of you think you can't do that because again, this is just ingrained into our society today. Very few people take responsibility for their life It's because they were raised in a dysfunctional family. It's because they had this happen to them. Because they've had this or that or on and on and goes. I'm just saying, you know what? Grow up and take responsibility for your life. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt that said that nobody can make me feel bad about myself without my consent and cooperation. Boy, that is one powerful statement. Again, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt, First Lady of the United States, that says, nobody can make me feel bad about myself without my consent and cooperation. Nobody can make you feel like a second-class citizen unless you have a, a mindset that isn't accepting responsibility for yourself. If you have bought into this lie and if you are thinking that I am the way I am because of everybody else's prejudice and the way they've treated me, that's the problem, not what they've done to you. You know, in the United States, there's been a lot of racial prejudice and people sit there and talk about all of this. And yet, if you would stop and think about it, did you know it's decades, I mean decades, that the blacks have occupied nearly all of the high positions in sports. I mean, they are dominant. They're the ones that are being paid the most in all of these things. We now have a black or partially black president. Did you know that really, if you would just stop and think about it, there are people that despite all of the problems that are out there have risen above it. And if you were to just be objective and think, you can overcome It doesn't matter if it's a racial prejudice, if it's a prejudice against you because you're a Christian, a prejudice against you because of your economic situation. There are multitudes of examples of people that have broke free from these things, and they're respected. Man, some of the most popular movie stars, actors and things are people that were at one time a minority group and and were considered rejected, and yet they're prosperous today. And yet there are still people that have this mindset and all somebody's got to do is just give you a little glance. All somebody's got to do is just have the slightest little body language and immediately you're offended. I'm saying you're going to have to get over this. You cannot live in a vacuum to where there is never going to be any problems. We live in a fallen world. People are carnal. People treat other people badly. And they do it for the stupidest reasons. And if you're a person that just has to have everything in your life perfect before you can be mature, before you can be happy, before you can be successful, you're never going to succeed. This is one of the first principles of discipleship is personal accountability. You are responsible for how you feel about yourself. What other people say about you can't affect you without your consent and your cooperation. And you just need to get over it. Amen. And I know there's going to be people mad at me. There's going to be people say that you're insensitive. You don't understand. You haven't been through what I've been through. See, this is another uh, thing that goes contrary to Scripture. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. The Scripture says we've all been through the same thing. Did you know that I've been rejected? I've been persecuted. I've been... I've, I've had people slander me. I've been through things. And for a person to say, no, you can't know what it's like. You haven't been where I've been. Well, then you're violating 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You're saying your situation is special. You're saying that your situation isn't covered by the Word of God. That finding your contentment in the Lord isn't sufficient. You've got to have more. You're a special class. And I tell you, that is a lie from the devil and that is one of the reasons that you haven't been able to get over things, that you haven't been able to deal with it. That's not true. I know that some of you are hopping mad. Well, you know what? I'll probably hear from you. I encourage those of you who agree, praise God, let us hear from you because there will be criticism. But based on what I'm teaching right here, you know what? I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to let your opinion influence me i really believe that this is something that god has shown me from the word of god and because of it i've had a lot of things happen against me i could spend multiple days telling you about terrible things that people have done to me but you know what i haven't i'm not bitter i'm not hurt i'm not angry at a single person on the face of the earth i got lots of people that don't like me but i'm not mad at them and i haven't taken offense i'm not offended The scripture says that if you get offended, Mark chapter 4, verse 18, I believe it is, that Satan steals the word out of your heart. Man, if you get offended, it will stop you in your tracks. You're going to have to just take this very first thing that Paul told Timothy. Don't let people despise you. You know, I'm going to continue on this same thought, but let me turn over and use Jesus as an example. And again, there's some people that take offense when you use Jesus and they say, well, that was Jesus and I'm not Jesus. But you know what? He gave us His power. He told us the works that He did we shall do also and even greater works than these in John chapter 14 and verse 12. And so I believe that Jesus is our example. We're supposed to be imitators of Him. And in the sixth chapter is where... Uh, Jesus typically, you know, he was constantly having the Pharisees and the scribes criticize him and he began to defend himself. And it's important that you understand the context. He had just fed the 5,000 men. That didn't include all the women and children. And he took a little bit of food and he multiplied it and took up more leftovers than he had to start with. It was absolutely miraculous. And then he sent the people away and he got into his ship or he, he had his disciples get into his ship, and this is when he walked on the water. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 14. And uh, in John chapter 6, right after this miracle of walking on the water and Peter walking on the water, he got into the boat, and immediately the boat and the disciples were translated to the other side of the lake. That's only recorded in John chapter 6. The other four gospel writers record the instance, but they don't show that particular Uh, piece of information but this was just totally miraculous and the next day all of these people who had been fed by him on the other side of the lake they ran around the lake some of them took ships and they came across the lake and they found him and multitudes wanted to come and take him by force and make him a king and it says here in john that he knew that they hadn't really Uh, They really didn't appreciate him. They wanted to make him a king because he fed them and their bellies were full. In other words, they had selfish benefit from it. And praise God, Jesus never was about just trying to draw crowds. And he wasn't in the ministry. He wasn't doing what he was doing for his own benefit. He was ministering to people and he was able to look past all of the things that would uh, ensnare a person who was egotistical. And he was able to see past it and see that they weren't sincere. They were seeking him because of the benefit he was to them. And the moment he quit being a benefit, they'd turn on him just as quick as they uh, had had responded to him. And so because of this, he began to start saying some things to these disciples that are really hard. And uh, he said, for instance, in verse... This would be verse 35, John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst and uh... of course he just began to tell them that you won't believe on me and finally he told them, he says uh... you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood in other words he was talking about total commitment you just couldn't benefit from him and take the good and skip the other you needed to have a total commitment to him and the people were offended And they said, are you talking about that we have to be a cannibal? We have to physically eat your flesh and drink your blood? Let me just quickly point out that today if somebody said something that was misinterpreted Jesus never was talking about cannibalism. He was using this in a spiritual sense that we needed to just totally live by Him. Not by every, not by bread alone, but by every word that comes out. We needed to be totally committed unto Him. And yet the people misunderstood and thought He was speaking of cannibalism. If this would happen today, I guarantee you people would go out of them, their way. They would fall all over themselves trying to apologize and oh please let me explain. And we're so worried about a defending somebody you know in our own ministry right here i said something i forgot what it was now but this has been a few months ago and i said something that i probably should have said it better but it was obvious to 90 something percent of all the people the point that i was making but it left uh, a door open that somebody could misinterpret it and sure enough some people did and people wrote in i think i was teaching on imagination And I was talking about that you just have to visualize something. And I I hadn't got time to explain it. And because I even used the word visualize or see something on the inside, some people thought that this was like uh, Eastern meditation, some Eastern religion, and somebody got offended. And I probably should have explained it better than I did. But anyway, my staff came to me. They played the quote. They said, here's a criticism. Do you want to go back and change it? And I said, no. And they said, but people have misunderstood. And they gave me some examples. And I said, you know what? People are going to misunderstand me regardless of what I do. And if I spend all of my time being so fearful that somebody's going to misunderstand, I said, I just can't do that. I can't, I don't have the freedom to express myself. Now I'm getting better, and praise God. I believe if the Lord tarries, maybe someday I'll get to where I control my mouth better than I do. But you know what? If you're looking for something wrong, if you are looking at this program critical and trying to see if I have something wrong, I got something for you. Amen. I'll eventually mess up. I'll do something. But Jesus, He said something here that they thought He was talking of cannibalism. And how did He respond? He says, verily I say unto you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He didn't back up. He didn't apologize. He didn't explain it. He got even stronger. And he just started preaching total commitment, so much so that there was thousands of people, thousands of people wanting to come and take him by force. And he began to start being so specific in how they had to commit to Him and deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Him, that it offended the people, and they all left. Thousands left. You know, if this was modern-day preacher, if this was me, let's say that I drew thousands of people, say five or ten thousand people, and if I got up and preached this message on discipleship, taking accountability, responsibility for your own self. Quit blaming somebody else. And if I got up and preached that, and it was so strong that thousands of people, they just got up and walked out. And if I was left there with nothing but my staff, you know how most people would respond to that? They'd be talking about, well, did you hear about Andrew Womack? That, man, his ministry was growing, people were coming, there was thousands of people, but then uh, they just all got up and left. It's a shame. He used to be so powerful. God used to bless him. We would talk about it as defeat because we really do measure success in the number of people and all of these kind of things. Jesus had every person leave him. And how did he respond? Here's what he did uh, in John chapter 6. It says in verse uh, 66... It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus to the twelve, will you also go away? What did Jesus do? Instead of turning to his staff and saying, man, what have I done wrong? You think I messed up? Instead of being insecure. well, this is a statement that's going to shock and probably offend somebody. But you know what? When you have to have everybody agree with you, and you have to get everybody to where they are accepting of you and you're praying, oh, God, please change this person and all that, what it is is insecurity. It's insecurity that makes you codependent upon people's approval. Some of you, that's not blessing you, but it's got the potential of setting you free if you'd accept it and receive it. It really is insecurity. And Jesus was so secure in the Lord that he knew he had said what his father gave him to say. And regardless of how people responded, he just said it. And when he did, they all left. How did he respond? He didn't go to his staff. What did I do wrong? How can we fix this? Can we apologize? Can we somehow or another solve this? He turned to his disciples and he says, will you also leave? Will you also go away? There's the door. If you don't like it, you can leave. (laughs) Boy, Jesus was awesome. Jesus was so secure. That's powerful. And I'm telling you, this is one of the points. This is the point that Paul was trying to get across to Timothy is don't let people despise you. This is the way that Jesus operated. Man, people rejected him. I'm sure people went away from Jesus criticizing him and talking about, man, this man is saying we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. There was another instance where Jesus spoke and he spoke some real hard things, a word of rebuke to the Pharisees. And his disciples came to him later and they said, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? Like, how, how could you say something that offends people? And he says, man, if they aren't planted by my Father, they'll be plucked up. He didn't go and apologize. He didn't say, Oh, I didn't mean to offend anybody. Let's go back and straighten it up. Now again, there are people, there are especially preachers who delight in offending people and they don't offend people with the gospel. It's just them that are offensive. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying that, you know what, we have gotten to where most people would never say anything if they thought people would be offended. That is not a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Jesus offended people with the truth. Paul even said this in Galatians chapter 4 verse 16. He says, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And Paul was strong. Timothy was strong. Peter was strong. You find godly leaders. And again, there's a distinction between a godly leader and the leadership that we see in our politics and in our world today. But godly leaders, they aren't out to offend people. They're out to help people but they will tell a person the truth. You know, the Lord put it to me this way, and this, I, this really made a difference because some of you are listening to me right now and you're thinking, I've just never had a problem with this. I was an introvert. And you know what being an introvert is? Some people think it's your personality type, it's your trait, you know, you're just shy or whatever. It's absolutely self-centeredness, insecurity. You're constantly thinking about what's everybody thinking about me? Some of you don't agree with that and you think, man, you're offended by that. You're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. Amen. I've come through this and I'm telling you, it was my fear of people and my insecurity that made me so timid and shy. So I've got a tendency towards that and it bothered me when people would criticize me and reject me and yet I was saying the truth, but I was getting a lot of flack for it. And here's one thing that the Lord spoke to me that made a huge difference in my life. And He used those scriptures in John chapter 8 verse 32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And He said it's the truth, telling people the truth that are going to set them free. And He said if you don't tell a person the truth because you're afraid that they'll reject it, then you have rejected it for them. And you're denying them the opportunity to change. And he said, every person ought to have the privilege and the honor of rejecting the truth. If they're going to do it, they need to do it for themselves. You should not do this for them. Man, I don't know if that communicates to you, but it communicated to me. And I just realized that, you know what, if I know the truth, and if I realize that this person is in error scripturally, and God has given me an opportunity to share with them, I'm going to tell that person the truth, even if it makes them mad, even if it offends them. And I have told people the truth before in love. You know, in the 10th chapter of the book of Mark, Jesus was talking to that rich young ruler who came and fell down at his feet, and it looked good, but Jesus knew his heart wasn't right. And he... he. uh told this man to obey all of the law, not because you get born again by obeying the law, but this man made the deception of thinking, what must I do? He wasn't trying to receive it as a gift. He was trying to earn it, and so God showed him, all right, be perfect, basically. And the guy was so deceived, he says, I am perfect. I've kept all of these commands. I've never broken any of them, which isn't true. Nobody has lived perfectly. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it says in Mark chapter 10, it says, Jesus beholding him, loved him. And then he told him, go sell whatsoever you have and give it to the poor. He didn't say this because he hated him. He didn't say it because he was trying to offend him and just trying to find something that would upset him. He told him this because he loved him. And, you know, basically this man says, I've kept all of the commandments... The very first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other God before me. The very first commandment is about putting God first. This man's money was first. And then the last commandment, the tenth commandment is, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. This man was very covetous. covetous. He held on to his money. So basically the Lord, he says, I've kept all the commands. The Lord told him to do something that showed he had broken the first and the tenth commandment and probably most of them in between. In other words, he was trying to draw this man out of his deception and help him. And so he told him the truth because he loved him. And yet he was offended and went away sad because he had great possessions. Jesus did that because he loved him. Brothers and sisters, it's love to tell a person the truth. Now, there's a right and wrong way to do it. You can do it in a way that you try and hurt people and you're, you're using the things I'm saying here about being truthful and confrontive and telling people the truth and you're just using that for an excuse for you to go out and try and get even with somebody. And God knows your heart and um, you could misuse what I'm saying. I'm not talking about being vindictive and bitter and just hurting people. But I'm saying love people. I tell people the truth because I love them. And I'm not going to reject the truth for them. I'm going to give them the opportunity of uh, accepting or rejecting on their own. But you've got to get beyond this fear of people. You've got to get to where even if people despise you, it's not going to affect you. It's not going to change what you do. And this is just part of being a disciple. Boy, this is powerful. Matter of fact, here's another verse that fits perfectly with what I'm talking about. But Jesus, in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, he was talking again to the people who were criticizing him and they were saying you had borne witness of yourself and all of this stuff. And he he says, how can you people judge me? Because you are just men pleasers And look at what he said here in John chapter 5, verse 44. He says, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Man, what a radical statement is that. Jesus is saying you cannot truly believe. If you are having to constantly be accepted by people and they have to validate you, you'll never be able to believe God. There are some of you that are trying to believe God for a healing of your body. And yet... You can hear what God says. You could come and get me or somebody else to pray for you. But then, if the doctor doesn't confirm everything, you just fall apart like a $2 suitcase because you honor the Word of a doctor more than you honor the Word of God. I actually have an instance. I don't think I have time to tell the whole story, but a woman was dying. I prayed for it. The cancer disappeared. And because it disappeared, she thought she'd go back to the doctor. The doctor, a new doctor, looked at her and says, I don't know who told you you were dying of cancer, but man, you don't have cancer. It doesn't look like you've ever had it. He says, but let's just make sure and give you chemotherapy. And this woman had an allergic reaction to the chemotherapy and nearly died. She was in intensive care for over a week. She came back. I talked to her. I said, you know God healed you. And she says, oh, I know it. And I said, don't take chemotherapy. It will kill a well person. They even said you don't have it. Don't do it. And she says, but my mother and my family and my church, they just don't understand me not doing everything that the doctor says to do. And I said, look, don't do it. And yet she went back because she was afraid. She couldn't stand up to people. She was afraid of what people had to say. She went back and took her another t- chemotherapy treatment and had an allergic reaction to it and died. And this woman was well. She was healed of cancer. But see, you can't believe if, you, if God says this and you are healed or whatever, you are prospered and God has told you to do something. But if you have to have everybody else validate it, God isn't enough for you. You have to have everybody else tell you the same thing. You can't really believe. It will stop you dead in your tracks. And let's go back to this verse. It says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, "...let no man despise thy youth." But be thou an example of the believers. The word but here is a conjunction. That means it's a figure of speech that ties two thoughts or two sentences together. He's saying, don't let people despise you. How do you do that? You do it by being an example. Now, this is really important because a person might have uh, embraced some of the things that I've said last week about don't let people despise you. But the way they're going to do it is by flexing their muscles. And every time anybody criticizes them, any time somebody does something wrong, they want to fight back. They want to hurt you the way that you've hurt them. That's not what Paul's doing. The way you do it is by being an example. You just keep doing what God told you to do. And I tell you, if you'll do that, it's tremendous. Let me use this story. I've used this a bunch of times, and some of you, I'm sure, have heard this. But this is this is major in my life, and it fits perfectly. This is such a great example. I'd like to hear it again myself. So um, anyway, please listen, even if you've heard this. But there was a time when I first got turned on to the Lord. I was still in the Baptist church, but I was preaching non-Baptist doctrine, and because of it, I was being criticized. And I was trying to justify myself. And I was trying to stop these people's criticism by getting in and arguing with them and trying to explain to them and doing all of these things. And in the midst of that turmoil that was going on in my life, I went to a meeting that was held by my good friend, Joe Nay. He was kind of like my mentor, the guy that got me going. And I went to his meeting, and out of hundreds of people, he called me forward. And he said, Andrew, he says, I see you like a runner on a track. You're running on one of these oval tracks. And he says, you're leading the race. You're doing good. But the people in the grandstands are yelling at you and criticizing you and telling you you're doing it all wrong. And he says, I see you getting off of the track and running up into the grandstands and arguing with the spectators. And he said, even if you win the argument, you're going to lose the race. Get back on track. Stay on track. And if that isn't obvious to you, that was just one powerful word to me that I have used and I've really controlled my life with that. And this relates to what we were talking about. The way you keep other people from despising you isn't by getting off of the track and getting there and arguing with them and trying to justify yourself. Did you know even if you won the argument then Satan really has won and kept you from winning the race because you're no longer doing what God told you to do. You're over here trying to justify yourself. You know, if I've got people that criticize me and do a lot of things and I could come on television and I could start trying to justify and explain this and explain that and let's expose this person and show that they're the ones that's wrong and not me. And even if I won the argument... Satan would win because I'd no longer be preaching the gospel. I'd no longer be telling people the word, but instead I'd be defending myself. And I tell you, there's not very many people that are secure enough in the Lord that when somebody criticizes them, that they can just keep on doing what God calls them to do. But instead, they want to get up in the grandstands and they want to try and justify themselves and win this argument because it's all about self. No, there's something more important than you there's something a lot more important than you, and that's your relationship with God, what God has called you to do. And you know what? You need to do it. And don't let the spectators get you off of the track and into the grandstands arguing with them. You know, I could use a million examples of this. I've had this happen a lot. When you preach the gospel, and if you preach the true gospel... There is going to be criticism. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you hadn't been criticized and persecuted, you hadn't preached the true gospel. And this doesn't only apply to ministers. This applies to anybody who's really standing up and preaching the gospel. And I can tell you that there are a lot of people that when we first started in ministry, it looked like we had absolutely lost our minds. We left good-paying jobs. We left security. We left all of these things to go out and start holding Bible studies. We needed to starve to death for years. And I guarantee you, there was probably a decade after I committed myself to being in the ministry that there was not one positive thing that to a person who wasn't totally in agreement with us, there wasn't a positive thing that would have convinced any skeptic that we were called to the ministry. We struggled financially. We struggled with people persecuting, saying things about us. Things were going wrong. And you know what? It, it just looked bad. And there's a lot of people that thought, you're never going to make it. There's a lot of people that said all kinds of things. But rather than us getting off of the track and running into the grandstands and defending ourselves and trying to prove to them and convince them, you know what? We just kept doing what God told us to do. And I literally, if I had time, could mention at least a hundred. I'm sure probably much more than a hundred people who just wrote us off. But over the years, as we kept going, they have seen the blessing of God. They have seen the power of God in manifestation. Now they can see us worldwide in reaching people. And I have had many, many, many people who wrote us off come back around. You know why? Because I just stayed on the track. I kept doing it's what Paul was telling Timothy don't let people despise you well how do you keep that from happening by getting in there and explaining everything and talking to him and justifying yourself no just do what God told you to do be an example and he gives specifics I'm going to go through each one of these specifics but the principle here of just live a godly life Just do what God called you to do. And there's people that will criticize you, but over a period of time, they'll actually come around and they'll be converted and they'll come to it. Let God deal with it. Here's another lesson that I learned. It says in Romans chapter 12, Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. God takes care of things. When He appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul at that time, He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And God intervened and took care of his people. Praise God. Saul had enough wisdom to respond positively and became the Apostle Paul. But I mean, God took these things personally. God will take care of you. It's not going to always happen in this life. There are people who've been martyred for their faith. And there will be more people who will be martyred for their faith. But I can guarantee you, someday we're going to stand before the Lord... And those people who have served God and have been persecuted, they're going to shine like the sun while the people who persecuted them are going to be flat on their face realizing, man, I have sinned against God. They'll be crying and begging for mercy. It'll be too late then. But my point is that, you know what, I have had people come out against me and I have just kept doing what God called me to do. And the Lord has defended me. If you defend yourself, God won't defend you. But if you will entrust this to God, if you will step back and let God be God, God will take care of defending you better than you can defend yourself. And this works on every level. I've used this a lot of times uh, with uh, people who are married. And I've seen a lot of people who tried to be the Holy Spirit... And tried to convince their mate and make them do this, and they're praying, Oh God, help them to see all of this. And you are, you just make a poor Holy Spirit. And if you get in and try and manipulate and force your mate, you know what? It's not going to work. Many of them are going to say, Well, you know, even if God speaks to them, the maid is going to think, you know, that, I have this thought, but that, that's my wife. That's my husband. They've been telling me this, and they'll write it off and not recognize that it's God. You know, let me see if I can do this real quickly. I had not got time to turn over to these scriptures. But when Mary got pregnant, the virgin birth, it says that right after the angel overshadowed her, she immediately went into the hill country to visit her um. Cousin Elizabeth who was six months pregnant at the time and she spent three months with Elizabeth. And then when she came back to Nazareth, it says she was found with child. It didn't say she told people that she was pregnant. She was found pregnant. If you study that and think about it, it means that people could see that she was pregnant. She had been gone for three months and she was now three months into the pregnancy and she was beginning to show. Now, here's the significance of what I'm saying. I don't believe, and I haven't got time to establish this, so I'll just present it as andyology. I know that this is contrary to our Christmas traditions and everything that we say, but I believe it's Scripture. I don't believe that Mary told Joseph about the visitation of the angel and her having a virgin birth. There's nothing in Scripture that implies. Matter of fact, there's a lot in Scripture that implies that she didn't. She rose up immediately and went into the hill country and was gone for three months. She didn't call Joseph on the cell phone and tell him what was going on. They didn't have letters as such. There was no communication. And when she got back, all of a sudden, after being gone for three months, she's three months pregnant And it's obvious that Joseph thought that she had had a relationship with somebody else and he was going to divorce her privately. Instead of publicly, he had the ability to stone her to death. But instead, he was going to do it privately because apparently he really did love Mary and he didn't want to make her a public disgrace. And so he was going to do it privately. And while he thought on these things, a dream came to him. And in the dream, the Lord told him, Joseph Don't be afraid to take Mary your wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's my point. If Mary had tried to tell him all of these things and convince him, first of all, how do you tell somebody that I'm pregnant but I'm a virgin? (laughs) You know why? There aren't enough words to convey that. There, I think it would have been wasted effort I think it's to Mary's credit that she just trusted God with this and let God be the one to defend to her. And she took what God had revealed to her and she was going with it and she was facing the consequences, whatever they were. I personally do not believe that she tried to convince Joseph. And therefore, because she didn't, when this dream came, and it says specifically in Matthew, it was a dream. It wasn't a visible something. It wasn't while he was wide awake. How many of you have ever had a dream? And regardless of how real it is, when you wake up, you realize that that's just a dream. And you think, man, I'm not sure if that was God or whatever. If Mary had tried to tell Joseph these things, if all of that information would have been fed to him by Mary It would have been easy for him to dismiss this and think, well, you know what? That's just a dream that these thoughts were planted there by Mary. She told me all of this and he could have dismissed it and continued on his course of divorcing her. But because I believe she didn't share with him and she left this up to God and she just was an example. She just was loving God and doing what God told her to do. Then when God spoke to Joseph, he knew that this was God. I mean, this was unbelievable that it could be a virgin birth. This is not something that had ever come into his mind. Nobody had ever told him this. And it was easy to say that this must be God. And then when he shared with Mary and said that the Lord said we're supposed to name him Jesus, she, she could have said, uh, that's a confirmation. And I believe that it was much more powerful if it worked that way than for Mary trying to talk to Joseph. And the reason I bring all of this up is to say that again, she just by example did what God told her to do and that left God free to come in and defend her and to show Joseph what had really happened. But if she had gotten in and tried to be the Holy Spirit and convinced Joseph on his own, he could have written all of that dream off as That was Mary that planted all these thoughts in my heart. Likewise, there are many of you that god has told you to do something you're receiving flack for it and you wonder why god hasn't done something it's because he can't get a word in edgewise it's because he can't say anything that you haven't already said five or six times and if he was trying to speak to the other person and let them know that what you were doing is correct how would they recognize it as being god's voice instead of your voice I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this doesn't make sense to your natural mind, but I'm telling you that this is what these verses are saying. This is what the Bible teaches, that you need to let God defend you. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. Let God defend you. It is not so important that you be proven right. It's important that you do what God told you to do. And if people misunderstand, even if it's your husband, your wife, your children, your family, your friends, your friends at church or whoever, you don't have to sit there and defend yourself. You know, I've actually had my staff try and defend me because people write blogs and say lies about us. And they say, there's things that we can do. And I told them, I said, I'm not getting off the track. I'm not getting into the grandstands. I am not defending myself. I am not going to take one ounce of my time trying to defend myself. I'm going to tell people the truths of the gospel and stay on track. I tell you, this has worked for me. And I have had people that have hated me, that have had people burn my books, tell people I'm of the devil. And if I would have confronted them, I might have convinced them. I doubt it, but if I had have convinced them, it would have been just between them and me. But when I just left it in God's hand, I've had people come up in front of a thousand people and fall down on the floor and grab my feet and go to crying and say, please forgive me because God defended me. God took care of it and I didn't defend myself. God will treat you better than you'd treat yourself. God can defend you better than you'd defend yourself. Don't let people despise you, but not by you standing up and arguing and stating your case and trying to make everybody bow the knee. Just be an example. Just do what God told you to do, and it'll work. You know, we've got a lot of women in our Bible school that get flack for being a woman minister. And there's a lot of people that think a woman can't teach men. I can scripturally answer that. And I will answer it if a person asks me a question and they're sincere. They aren't argumentative. But you know what I've told so many women? I said, don't spend time trying to take and defend yourself and tell people that you can minister and stuff. Just do it. And let the anointing of God be witnessed in your life. And when people see this power of God, those with a pure heart will recognize it. You know, in my case... I went and watched Catherine Kuhlman, and I was in the Baptist church at the time, and I was told that a woman could not teach a man. But I had heard about her. I would seen her on television, and I wanted to go see. And the way, only way I could get in, because it was packed out, was to be an usher. And I literally, as an usher, had to take people off of stretchers and out of wheelchairs and put them in seats to clear the aisles for the fire code. And I remember one woman who was on a stretcher. She was as close to death as any person I've ever seen who was still alive. And I was able to put my hand, close my fingers around her thigh. She was boned. She could not stand. She couldn't sit. And I took her out and put her in a chair. And then I went down front and I watched Catherine Kuhlman. And she was weird. And I was offended. And I didn't like her. But then... Miracles started happening and one of them was this woman that I had put my hand around her thigh, running up and down the aisles, pushing her stretcher. And even though I didn't understand, I I recognized that that was the power of God. And you know what? I went back and changed my theology and I began to start reading until I found out. But see, she didn't spend any time sitting there justifying women in ministry. She just flowed in the power and the anointing of God. And by example, she won me over. There are so many of you that are demanding that people submit and respond. Just love them. Just do what God told you to do. Go on past them. And you know what? God will take care of it. Be an example. That's how you stop other people's criticism of you.